Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome. Say it again. Hello. Good to see everyone. Want to welcome everybody online. Want to welcome everybody here. Of course, welcome anybody who's podcasting the message later. We're honored to have you with us. And uh, can we just thank our team for the worship this morning? It was good. Love that first song. Uh, I want to share uh, that uh, you saw, did you see Keith kind of leave here and go back there? That's because we found out this week that our keyboard player is covid so uh, you want to pray for Jordan, and I think he's not feeling sick, but he did test positive, and so we got all that stuff going on, still going on in our culture, isn't it, all around us? So that that is uh, just want to have a reminder about that. And before I uh, preach this morning, um, and I'm excited about that, I want to share something with you that happened in the life of our congregation this week. Want to make sure everybody knows. Want to show you a picture here. Uh, this is a picture of Jonathan's uh, Swalzing. And this is his wife, Sarah, son, Nathan, and daughter, Jemina. And uh, we lost Jonaman uh, this week to COVID. And uh, uh, many of you all have heard about an outbreak that was uh, happening in India. And how many of you all heard about that? That that's been a, been a big thing in the news this past week. A couple weeks ago, uh, Jonaman was uh, diagnosed with uh, COVID and uh, he passed away uh, this past weekend. And so just wanted to share that with you. Jonathan uh, has been one of our partners, our ministry partners, uh, missionary partners uh, in India and had has had tremendous uh, impact, I believe, in northern India. He's known all over. Uh, Jonathan will leave uh, in that ministry. He's got 14 uh, orphans that he's sharing with. And if you know anything about the caste system in India, over 50, I believe, um, folks that he's also sort of uh, caring for in kind of a, a relationship with what is called the Dalit class, which is uh, referred to sometimes in India as the untouchables. And so this has been a hard uh, week, a hard ministry week for our church family. And I thought it would be appropriate for us this morning uh, to pray for the Swalsing family. Would you just join with me in prayer? Uh, Lord, we are uh, in a series really right now where we are learning uh, that uh, real life uh, connects us in so many ways with a real God. And so we are learning right now what it is like, what it means for us to strip off any false images and to fall into this presence of a God who loves us and cares for us like we just sang about. And so, Lord, this morning, it's with heavy hearts we come to you and we lift up the Swalsing family. Uh, we pray for Sarah, Nathan, and Jemina, and we pray, Lord, in this uh, time of grief that you would be uh, of comfort to them, that Jesus, by your power and by your spirit, you would manifest your grace to this precious family and the ways they have been serving and loving you. And uh, Lord, in these moments where we don't completely understand all of your work, we um, are learning what it means to manifest trust in your direction where we are missing some key pieces of information. And so God, I just we cry out this morning. We ask that you would be with that family, that you would comfort them and bring uh, grace to them. Uh, Lord, I lift up our friends, the Capri family, who first introduced us 
uh, to the Swalsings, and I pray that your comfort and your grace would be uh, available to them uh, in this difficult time. And Lord, for all of us this morning for whom this context, this situation has a connection with other people we know in our lives, other things that we're contending with, we invite that into the room, and we ask that you would deepen our trust in you, that you would use this series and these scriptures in ways that will manifest new understandings about who you are so that our trust may grow. This we pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Praise God for that. All right, I want to encourage you to grab your app, and we are going to continue on. We are in week four uh, of our series this week. Uh, we're calling them a series, a series Mistaken Identity, and we're tagging into the question, who is God really? And what we're learning around right now is we have these ideas about God, these perceptions about God, and what we're learning to do with respect in the scriptures and through the help of God's word is kind of tag into what we might understand as truth and what we might understand as pretense. And so this is the kind of thing we've been doing. We have, uh, we are using as a key text for those of you just dialing in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that uh, I'm going to ask us to read this uh, out loud again. This is Hebrews one, three. We're going to read it out loud. Ready? Go. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And what we're doing is we're kind of peeling everything back to this particular verse. And this is a verse that is reminding us that in these latter days, in these latter moments with respect to our faith, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And so we're learning about who God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. This is the series we're following up with uh, on the other side of Easter. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to go at some of these misperceptions and, 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 and disarm these misperceptions about God so that we can come into a deeper reality, deeper understanding of who the Lord actually is. I was thinking about this this week. I have found uh, in almost 33 years of pastoral ministry that I can no longer assume And I probably shouldn't have been able to do this anyway, but I should can no longer assume that when I'm talking to people about the Lord, that we're necessarily talking about the same God. And I was thinking about this because um, I think there's a lot of truth around this. I've been in conversation with people about a perceived idea of God, a thought about God, a perception, or some slight hurt or misunderstanding they may have of God. And when they say this to me, I often sometimes think to myself, who told you that's God? You ever been in a conversation like that? And when it gets really bad, sometimes I just have to say it out loud. Who told you that? Where was that idea formed? And so it's been interesting. Um, This series has generated a lot of uh, feedback in a positive way, and I'm pumped about this because it lets me know that um, we're connecting, we're, we're tapping onto a nerve in some way. I remember reading early in my ministry that by Tuesday, over 82% of people in your congregation have already long forgotten everything you've said. And, and that was really um, inspiring to me to learn that. <laughs> that what I've given my life to by Tuesday, people are going, I have no idea what he was really saying. And um, sometimes and when I'm out in the lobby, it happens right after the service, you'll come up and you'll say something to me and said, man, you'll say, I love it when you said that. And inside I'm going, I didn't say that. <laughs> and that's also very, very encouraging. 
And so, uh, but this is the kind of idea. Early in my faith, I want to admit to you guys, I had misinformed understandings of God based upon my own knowledge, experience, and the influence and thoughts of people around me. And I have worked through a lot of that. I feel certain that as I stand before you this morning, I've not worked out every misconception. We are all a work in progress. Amen? There's no shame in this game. And when Beth and I were uh, beginning our church many years ago, when we, uh, you know, had inquired several times in our own denominational system about we would really feel called to plant a church, and they said, no, you can't plant a church. And then finally when they called and said, okay, we'll let you plant a church, I remember thinking about what I would envision our church might embrace. And I can remember all those years ago thinking that um, I wanted our church to be a place where robust questions were never ignored, shamed, or dismissed, but encouraged as we all learn together. And so I was speaking with somebody who is uh, newer to the Community of Hope Experience just a few weeks ago, and they were saying to me, um, I've never been in an environment, they were talking about our partnership class, and they said, I've never been in an environment, uh, and she went on to say, I've knocked around church many years. And she said, I've never been in an environment where she said, I don't have to feel shame about some of the questions that I've had my entire Christian experience. And and I can, rem- I, I just, that was so uh, inspiring to me to hear that. Of course, and then I called Kathy and said, this is really important. Don't jack this up. And so this is really an important conversation we're having. One of the staff values at our church is we have to uh, resurface every now and revisit every now and again as we talk about the, the value of staying hot, which we describe as humble, open, and teachable. And there's just something that God does in our own lives when we just sort of manifest this desire to learn, this uh, sense of kind of continuing on uh, in this deal. So that is what we bring to this series, and I believe God is meeting us here in a super powerful way. If you were with us last week, here's what I want to say. We address the idea, the mistaken identity of God that we called genie in a bottle God. And if you've not had a chance to listen to that talk, I encourage you to go back and do that. We observed that in the story of Aladdin, which you saw a little bit on the video there, uh, from which this idea may have some ideological foundation, it is the genie that calls Aladdin his master, not the other way around. And so we were, we were just taking note of that, and we observed how this mistaken identity is revealed in the way we pray oftentimes and how God really wants us to experience uh, in prayer and in uh, our walk with him an invitation to relationship, an invitation uh, to partnership, and an invitation to follow. One of the things we've said over and over again, right, is that Jesus didn't invite us to be Christian necessarily. He did invite us to follow him. And so this is kind of the idea that we're looking at. And so today, this weekend, uh, as we discussed Genie in a Bottle last weekend, and I told everybody last weekend that this weekend we're going to explore that false God's kissing cousin. And so today we're going to explore Genie in a Bottle God's kissing cousin, and the kissing cousin is this one. We're going to call him Feel Good God. Say it with me. Feel Good God. Now say it with some gusto. Good, that makes me know that you're out there. These two mistaken identities are very closely related, 
And uh, here's the idea that I want to uh, uh, unpack this morning, if, if, if I can. Uh, before we get to the truth or challenge that I want us to lean into, let's talk first. Again, we're going to do this every weekend. I want to talk about the problematic idea, and then I want to offer a bit of a disclaimer. So here's the problematic idea if you're taking notes. The problematic idea about feel-good God is this. God is there to make me feel good all the time. Why don't we say that out loud? God is there to make me feel good all the time. This is the God of the warm fuzzies, the mountaintop experiences, the oohs and the ahs. And as long as we feel like this with respect to God, God is there, God is with me, God is good. And the minute I stop feeling that, he's not there. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, and that's what I want to go at uh, this morning. This is the God of the feels. I was thinking about this because uh, sociologists and uh, relationship experts tell us on the human side of relationships that our relationships develop in stages. And uh, I'm really helped by this. Remember studying some of this in seminary. People have done a lot of work on this. It's extremely helpful, extremely life-giving. And one stage early in the development of a human relationship is something they call the infatuation stage. How many of you have ever heard about that before? Raise your hand. Four of us. Awesome. Okay. Here's the deal. The infatuation stage, here's what one uh, sociologist says. In, uh, the infatuation stage, listen to this, is an important and necessary step in all human bonding relationships, romantic or otherwise. It's an important and necessary step in all human bonding uh, in relationships, romantic or otherwise. It's in this stage, listen to this, that chemicals are released in our brains that are at work to bring clarity to what's important to you about the relationship you're working on, and it's, and it's this way that we are pulled toward a person. It is here where very strong feelings develop, and listen to this. They say the, the infatuation stage in a human dynamic and a human relationship lasts anywhere between 18 months and three years. That's like the top end of that. So I was thinking about that. I think that has some play uh, in this deal, because a lot of us uh, remember this stage. How many of you remember this stage? And and again, it doesn't have to be uh, in a romantic relationship. It can be just in a regular relationship. I can remember the first, when I went to seminary the first time, and I met y'all have heard me talk about Pastor George, my relationship with Pastor George, and uh, we became furious and fast friends quick. There was a lot of um, connection. There was a lot of shared experiences. We were both from Florida, uh, moving to Kentucky, feeling God's call uh, upon our lives. And we became, became, in the phrase you probably heard before, thick as thieves. How many of you heard that phrase before? And I can remember a time then when Beth came along, and, and I've shared this before, I believe, and there was this moment as Beth's and my relationship began to develop and began to deepen. One night after we were on a date, and I had sprung for Mexican food, and we were just, you know, we were... It was, it was real. You could tell it was getting serious. And she said, you know, there's going to come a moment. Yeah. She goes, there's going to come a moment when you're going to have to choose George or me. That's a literal conversation. And I remember thinking, let me think about it and I'll get back. No, relax. I didn't think that. But, um, so I'm just trying to underscore the idea that um, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but it. But I, I certainly remember this developing 
uh, in my relationship uh, with Beth. And in fact, I remember, I remember a guy, a friend who uh, we were getting, Beth and I were getting close to being married. And have you ever noticed that when you're in that engagement stage and you're about to get married, all these friends, all these weird people pop up and they have all kinds of advice for you? Can we all acknowledge that? And they just got, they got all the advice. They got all the answers. They're going to tell you all this stuff. I remember this guy that came to me and he said, hey, I, I know, know you're about to get married. And he said, when you go on your honeymoon, you're going to have honeymoon salad. And I remember thinking, is that an actual thing? Should I look that, like, should I look that up? Like, what, what is honeymoon salad? He said, you've never heard of honeymoon salad? I said, no, what is honeymoon salad? He said, this is honeymoon salad. Let us alone, no dressing in a roll with honey. Take a minute and think about it. You'll get there. Huh? I can't believe I shared that, but I did. And this is what he said, this is what he said to me. He said, he said, listen, he goes, don't ever forget, there's a lot more on that menu than just salad. And I remember getting home, and we had our first real married fight together, and we threw salad at one another. Do you remember, do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yeah. This is the idea. This is when we think about feel good God. This is sort of under the idea of what it means to have a feel good God. It's, it's, it's only as long as this relationship with God is perpetuating these deep connective feelings of infatuation. And a lot of us, uh, are in that stage. And we stay in that stage. I was thinking about this this past week, and I looked at some moments in Scripture where this happened. How many of you all remember this moment where Jesus, in a particularly difficult moment of his ministry, peels off the, the disciples that scholars think might have been his closest friends, and he takes them up to a mountain, and he's transfigured? How many of you remember that, right? He's transfigured before them. And in this moment... um, you know, different versions of the story in the Gospels come out, and there's this incredible moment when they're up there on the mountain. He's transfigured. They see him in this blaze of white glory. They see some of his glory, and uh, there's a voice that comes out. One, one, one of the Gospel writers says there's a voice of the Heavenly Father that comes out and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Like, stop everything else. Listen to him. I think God's still saying that to us, by the way. And you know what happens right after that, right? I think it's Peter that turns to Jesus and said, this is awesome. Let's build a shelter. Let's stay here. This is so good. Let's never leave. In one of the gospel writer stories, this is among the first times Jesus says, no, we're not. Actually, we're not going to stay here. Actually, we're going to go down the mountain. Notice that, down the mountain, into the valley. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give my life for humankind. Now, can you imagine what that moment I mean, I think when, when Jesus said that, right, I, I think they probably were going, but Lord, really, can't we stay here? Can't we build a shelter? Right here. This is such an important concept uh, that we need to understand. I always think about this. Um, 
when our kids, our precious students, go off to camp. Right? And that was a phenomenal experience. Have you ever been to Christian camp? And some of our greatest experiences or memories are, are, are camp. And we come back, and i tell you what I try to do. I always want to be present in the first worship service on Wednesday night in student group, student ministry, after they've been to camp. It's like on fire in here, everybody. Right? I mean, because they, why? They have been to the mountain. I remember, I remember those, often those same experiences. And I remember when I went to camp, I remember, I remember after going to a camp one time, a retreat early in my Christian experience, I, I had this phase where to, if I were to be candid with you, I turned into kind of like a religious zealot. I was kind of a nut. I mean, I, I remember my dad going, who are you right now? And I remember I was coming home from this retreat and I, and I, I bought my brother. I, I still remember this. I wish I had taken a picture of it. My, my older brother was navigating a, a walk with God too and very influential in my own life. I bought him this really awkward, weird looking box with Jesus picture on it for him to put his Bible. It was made out of cedar wood. And we, we had stopped at this little souvenir place and I had, I bought, I bought this and I thought my brother needs to have this. And I remember bringing this home and like it's the holy grail I was giving to my brother and he goes, that's really weird. Threw it aside, never looked at it again. No, I mean, it was, it really was weird. <laughs> don't, don't have any shame for him. It was just a super awkward moment. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that is, that is sort of going on. Uh, I even see it in, in King David's life. I want to show you Psalm 27, verse 4. I think this is really what David is saying. He said, One thing I've asked from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Lord, let's build a shelter. Lord, let's stay here. Lord, do we ever want to go anywhere else? This is the thing. This is the place. But Jesus is going to invite all of us to come down from the mountain and to go through a valley and to take him with us into that experience. And I think this is so important for us because, um, wow, if there were ever, if there were ever a time, right, that we would say, this is, this has been a valley. I mean, I think we would go, that is what we've all experienced together. I, I'm not sure ever again in human history, and I hope this, I hope what I'm saying is true, right? Will we ever maybe experience something on a global experience where, where, where there are shared experiences worldwide? So often our experiences are separated uh, by our, you know, earned income and by where we live and how you know, industrialized our world is. And, and this has been a thing, right? That has sort of brought a sense of unanimity to the collective lament of the world. And, and here's what I want you to think about. Um, we will not be able to get through that if our God is just the feel good God. Uh, that that God will not serve us well in some of the deeper experiences 
in the deeper moments of life. And this is, this is why this is important. Let me offer to you um, a disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. We are not, though, saying, we are not, though, saying that people can't experience the presence of God. Uh, this is such an important part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I think if we understand really what, what happens in a moment like this collectively, whenever we come together, and many of us are online, many of us are here, we're trying to do everything we can to make the online experience as transcendent as it would be if we're in here together. But, you know, here's what we would like to say about a moment like this. It's an opportunity every seven days, again, to connect with the God in, in human experience, right? Amen to that. And so we're not at all saying that that's not true, but we're trying to say this. I thought it was interesting. Listen to this. Now, this is, again, spoken in a, in a human terms, but I want to pull it over in our relationship with God, and then I want to go right at our truth and our, and our challenge. Here's what I would say about the infatuation stage. One writer, one studier of this stage says this. Anytime, listen to this, anytime in this stage, after the amount of time between 18 month, months, and three years, any delayed time in that will hinder the next necessary part of any relationship, which is known as the attachment stage. Do you hear that? And and can I be honest for a moment and just push? Sure, Pastor Dale, go ahead. Okay, I will. Here's Here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you. The way many of us have oriented the way that we do our faith walk when we connect with God, what used to be, let me, let me just give you an A plus. Every seven days, you know what the average time now people connect with God? Slightly less than twice a month. Holistically, slightly less than twice a month. That sets up the possibility you can live most of your Christian journey in the infatuation stage. And you are going to be sorely disappointed. This is huge. Don't make a mistake here. This is huge. In fact, again, back on the human dimension, the human relationship side, here's what a sociologist would tell us. If you don't ever leave the infatuation stage, you will never, and you will never in long term make an attachment to this friend or to this romantic interest that we're talking about in this space. And the relationship will stall and die. And can I just say again, from the, the view of my seat, whether we're talking about a relationship with God or whether we're talking about a human relationship, I am in those conversations all the time. This is huge. And so what we want to do is we want to go right at this and we want to look at it and, and I, I, in terms of a truth or a challenge, I thought about this passage of scripture and we find it, uh, it's way down in Psalm, in the Psalms and uh, in the Old Testament in Psalm 13. And I want us to look at this. I want to read the whole song, uh, Psalm to you. And then I want to pick apart what I think is really important for us today. Here's how David writes. It's a Psalm of David. He says, how long, Lord? Isn't that great? I love, love that. How long, Lord? 
I mean, how long will you forget me forever? Anybody ever felt that way? Come on. How long will you hide your face from me? I mean, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy, you put in there whatever the enemy is, how long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will, notice, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now, for those of you that are interested or taking notes, there are really five different ways that we think of the Psalms. And uh, this, this song book, many think the prayer book of Jesus, 150 of these in the uh, Old Testament. In fact, um, I remember when I was first learning as a young Christ follower, they said, how do you find the Psalms? You just open your Bible, open it in half. You'll hit the Psalms right there. And, uh, but there, there are five different types of them. I'll just give them to you real, real quick. There's one type is known as imprecatory uh, psalms. These are psalms that call, call down God's judgment. God strike them dead. Go get them. Those are imprecatory psalms. There's royal enthronement psalms singing about, uh, the glory of God. There's wisdom songs, uh, psalms. There are psalms of praise and thanksgiving and, and this, type, this last one is called a psalm of lament. Psalm of lament. It's the question wondering psalm. And uh, I think if all of us could write, uh, we would have spaces in our lives where we would write these kinds of psalms. Because my guess is we've all prayed them. Uh, Lord, I keep talking. You, you, you're not answering. Well, there's an old country song, right? That, uh, my phone still ain't ringing. I assume it still ain't you. <laughs> right? Okay. And, uh, we've all, we've all prayed those. We've, we, we've all been there. And this is kind of an interesting thing. This is what I love. Listen to this. Scholars wonder whether this psalm comes from the deep wound David experienced from his relationship he had with his wayward son Absalom or whether it was from his dysfunctional and drawn-out relationship with King Saul. We don't know. But what I love, another writer observed, listen to this, it doesn't really matter. What's true is this, all of us have experienced moments where we feel God has forgotten us. And it references, I think it's Matthew 27, verse 46, where Jesus, and we said this at Easter, right, was on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? Anybody ever testify? Can you, with a raised hand, ever prayed a prayer like that? Ever wondered? Most of us have. And if you haven't yet, you probably will. And uh, in this psalm, David, uh, in verse 3, there's something very powerful that happens. I want to show it to you. 
Uh, he says this in, in verse 3 of Psalm 13. In, in the NIV, it says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Uh, I was studying this week, and I noticed that the New King James Version says it, I think, in a more powerful way. And rather uh, than uh, say, you know, look uh, on me and answer, the New King James says, first of all, this way, it says, consider me. And if you're taking notes, I would want you to write this down, because consider me means this. It shows the powerful tension between the two extremes in the psalm. He begins the lament by saying, how long? Where are you? And in verse 3, he says, consider me. Take me into account. Look my way. Don't just see me. See, Lord, see all of me. Consider me. And, and, and what, I, what I want you to notice here real quickly, here's David living in the tension in real time. It's so, it's so I don't know, powerful and helpful for me. Lord, there's this moment, there's a space, there are these things in my life where I'm wondering where you're at. And yet I'm going to continue to pray, consider me, Lord. Hey, I'm here. So when you're ready to make yourself known, I'm right here. This is what David is saying, and he's living in the tension. And we have to live in the tension around this idea. He's staying on us. When we worship the feel-good God, we don't want to do anything to disturb the feelings of that relationship. This relationship never grows up. It never develops the muscles of honesty and lives. It lives in the constant fear of disturbing others' sainted views of who we are. Can I tell you that a lot of times when I notice somebody's locked in the feel-good God scenario... Here's what is the companion to the feel God scenario. You don't ever want to tell God really how you feel because you're putting him yourself out there in a way and he might not be kind with it. This is huge, you guys. David says, consider me. And then he says this real quickly. He says, hear me. Hear me. We notice here that not only does David want God to consider him and who he is, he wants to hear God respond to who David says he is. And when we hear someone and they respond, it means to us that we're fully known. When I was in seminary the first time and I was learning how to counsel people, one advocacy, one idea around a lot of times is so much of what we say in the human dynamic, can I just say, is lost in translation, right? You ever have a conversation with somebody and you're saying one thing and you just tell you're not in the same orbit? It's amazing to me sometimes when I'll pull two people in a room and and how that'll happen right in a room. They don't hear it. I was thinking about this. This is a real example one time. I asked somebody, I said, to say something important to their spouse, and they said this. They said, you never pay attention to me. And then I looked to the other person. I said, what did you hear? And this is what he said. I hear she wants a new car. I was like, excuse me? What? You never pay attention to me. I want a new car. I was like, I want you to see Pastor Trevor. 
He's going to help you navigate that. No, I'm just kidding. That happens in our relationship with God all the time. And then lastly, can I just say this real quickly, y'all? David says, will you enlighten my eyes? And literally this means this. Fill my eyes with light that's not there. Fill in what's missing. Understanding, hope, forgiveness, grace, healing. Lord, fill in what's missing. Here's here's what David is saying. David is saying that when I can't feel your presence, God, fill in my heart what's missing because I'm going to maintain trust that you're still there so this must be some part of my understanding that is still going on. I, I don't want to miss this. Here's what, I, here's what I thought about this week. The true sign of maturity, Christian maturity, is not the feeling of the presence of God. It's the conviction to stay committed and engaged even when you don't feel his presence. Right? And some of us are there right now. Lord, I thank you this morning that that is the truth from your word. You have conquered it all. Every single thing you have defeated. You are the winner. And so God, would you help us to navigate a relationship with you that remembers you are with us on the mountains and you remain with us in the valleys. You have promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And what doesn't feel right on earth will someday be made right in eternity. And for that, we give you thanks. Teach us, O oh God, how to remain, how to be attached. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Go in his wisdom and his grace. We'll see you next weekend.